Then as it, it became official policy for us, we were able to push back and say, actually, if you want to be on our programme, you need to find a woman. Many areas of academia, think tanks, businesses, suddenly there's a sort of mandate to ask for a woman. You're listening to Media Unscripted, presented by FIP, the podcast that chats to the big names in media about their passions, their opinions and their personal experiences in this challenging industry. This podcast is brought to you by Pressreader, the world's largest digital newsstand. With Pressreader, publishers reach diverse audiences and monetize their content in new ways. Bring your publications to every corner of the globe, including at sea and in the air. Join Pressreader today. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Media Unscripted, brought to you by FIP. This week we are discussing the BBC's hugely important and influential 50-50 equality project. Launched in 2017 by outside source presenter Ross Atkins, the project aims to achieve 50-50 gender representation in the media and beyond. Five years later, it involves 690 BBC teams and more than 100 partner organisations in 27 countries all around the world. And they're all working towards one goal, which is the equal representation of women and men in content. The Equality Project is now trying to be inclusive of disabled people and those from ethnic minorities. And as well as aiming to achieve a 50% female representation, it's also looking for a 20% representation of ethnic minorities and 12% representation of those with disabilities. The beauty of this project is its simplicity. As long as you've got a spreadsheet and you've got the data, you can work out how many women you've got on your staff. If the numbers don't add up, it's up to the production team to increase the quota of women in their content. It's totally transparent and very effective. So here today to talk about 50-50 are Lara Jonidis, the project's creative diversity lead, and Miranda Holt, who is the external partners lead. They are both quite rightly proud of all that has been achieved today, as diversity is now a top priority rather than a mere afterthought. And what I think is really great about this project is that they are now in a place where they are driving and demanding change. They make no apologies for the right for women to be fairly represented. And this has had a real impact on the workforce as businesses are forced to appoint and promote female staff. But there's still a long way to go. Laura and Miranda talk about why this initiative is essential, why change had to happen and why it hasn't happened earlier. They also talk about their partner organisations, their future targets and the challenges they face. So let's hear what they've got to say. Laura and Miranda, thank you so much for joining Media Unscripted. First of all, I want to ask you both how you got involved with BBC's 5050 project and what your roles involve. Miranda, maybe you'd like to go first? Yes, I, I've i been a journalist at the BBC for more than 20 years and most recently I've been working on a daily political television programme uh, as part of the live political programmes department and I've been doing 50-50 from the grassroots uh, level, uh, getting more women onto political programming f- ever since 50-50 began uh, and so just in the last six months, I've joined the team um, as the external partners lead. So now I'm part of the uh, team that works with 120 external partners all around the world uh, in the UK and abroad who are rolling out the, f- the 50-50 programme. Quite a change of direction from a journalist to 
now you're kind of behind the scenes. Yes, but what's really key and I think is so effective, and Lara's from a news background too, is that we're all, all the 50-50 people are broadly from news backgrounds. So we've made programmes and we understand about the, the editorial process of getting more women on air. So it's not a theoretical thing when we talk about it. So I feel very comfortable talking to broadcasters around the world about my yes, experience yes. of implementing it and how it, it's designed to be very practical and very easy to do. I mean, there's a lot of thinking behind it and a, a sort of uh, lot of data, a lot of data analysis goes on. That's mm-hmm, key mm-hmm. because, you know, the, the fundamental thing is you're counting data to affect change. Uh, you're gathering data yes. to affect change. And you're, you're counting every day or every week, every month, whatever, however frequent your programme is. And in that process, you are, you know, deciding, ah, oh, is there another woman I could get to do, to talk about this subject or that subject? So going from news to this is, is a very easy journey. Sure, sure. And Lara, how about you? So, yeah, so I, I've kind of worked on 50-50 now in a formal capacity for coming up to three years, actually. Okay. Um, it started um, in 2017 um, kind of at the very grassroots level um, and then grew over the course of 2018 as more and more teams started to do it. And then by early 2019, that's when we were kind of, you know, formalised as a project that had staffing behind it. Um, and that's when it kind of became a strategy, really, at the BBC. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to ask you both, really. I mean, why do we need this campaign in the first place? Like, women represent 50% of the population. So why are they so underrepresented in the media? Is there a reason for why it's taken this long to address it and why it's happened in the first place? I think that, I think things have massively changed in 10 years, even five years. Uh, you know, if you look back on programmes that of that era there were many more men and I think it possibly was you know that was so-and-so expert was was the person you went to and always did the interview on economics whereas now and it, I, I don't think 50-50 can quite claim <laughs> to have completely change the world but it, it's the the process of thinking of is there another voice on climate change or coronavirus or you know all these all these mm. running news stories there are lots of people within the BBC and I think you know to some extent the diversity of content is being reflected in the diversity of people working at the BBC perhaps there perhaps there are more women there have always been a lot of women but uh, you know perhaps there's more drive to get a new voice on but I think I think it's been interesting and I think this could be 50 50 because it's now you know, more or less, I mean, there are 690 teams in the BBC doing this. So it's a kind of official policy. It's certainly official policy or as good as in news. When you say 690 teams doing it, how many teams in total are at the BBC? So how many aren't doing it? Oh, <laughs> so that's that's a really difficult question for us to answer because within news, it's very straightforward. People are, you know, generally working in fixed roles and ter- and teams are fixed, although we're currently going through a massive restructure in news. So it's all kind of been torn up and started again. Um, but, you know, we know how many teams there are working on programmes or um, social media accounts or whatever it is. 
But in other areas of the BBC, which is non-news content, mm. it's much more flexible. So, you know, you don't have a specific team who works on a specific programme, mm. but you have kind of productions that go in and out of, of, of being filmed and edited and then that team will move on to a different programme or they'll be scattered and they'll go and get other temporary contracts to work on that production. So I think where it comes to more kind of film and TV, it's really hard for us to pin that down because it, it moves around so much. Mm. Um, but we know that in news, we had 100% of teams signing up um, before the restructure. So we were at 100%, which, sure. was, uh, which was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've read one of your stats, that 70% of the BBC teams have 50% women's rep- representation, which is up from 36% in 2018, which obviously is amazing, but it's still, it still begs the question, why this other 30%, why aren't they getting involved? Yeah, but I think also what we notice from those results as well is that um, the longer teams take part, the closer they're getting to the 50%. Yeah. So um, what, we, what we saw in the 2020 report um, was that the longer teams were taking part, we had more and more teams reaching 50%. And we kind of plateaued slightly at 70% now. So whether teams have been taking part for a month or two years or three years, it's around 70% are reaching that, that mark of 50% women. But for teams who'd been taking part for at least three years, they were all above 40%. So there are teams where it's harder to reach 50%, um, whether it's because of cultural issues, whether it's some of the language services or whether it is a particular um, subject area that, you know, is that little bit more tricky Mm. where there are fewer women to speak to. But they're no longer getting, they're no longer at kind of 40% women or 37% women. All of them are at least at 40%. And so we're inching closer and closer and getting more and more teams to at least be at 40%. So um, it does take time Mm. and there are different reasons. And equally as well, you're never going to be absolutely bang on 50% every month. So some teams will be at 53% women, 54% women one month. And then okay, what what happens if it, what happens if it goes sixty forty? You know, is that okay? Is that allowed? You know, if it happens, you know, if it God happens forbid, one month, that's God fine. God forbid, we get and, more too yeah. many women. <laughs> <laughs> totally, but you know, that's completely fine if that happens. And it's also like why we will probably never be at a hundred percent of teams reaching fifty percent women because you'll always have teams who are at forty eight, forty nine percent. You know, yeah. it's not an exact science yeah. with that many numbers of contributors. So we'll have teams who will maybe go up and down between forty eight percent, fifty two percent, fifty one percent. 47 percent you know mm-hmm. it goes up and down but as long as they're around achieving mm-hmm. balance that's what we're aiming for when we started doing on political programs we would be slightly apologetic to people political parties saying oh um, we're trying to do 50 50 and would you mind you know finding a, a female mp member of parliament Yes. Then as it, it became official policy for us, we were able to push back and say, actually, if you want to be on our programme, you need to find a woman. And that that had a that had an effect that it made all the political parties think, oh, all right, OK. So everybody, you know, so from my world in politics, but uh, in many areas of, you know, academic academia, think tanks, businesses, suddenly there's a sort of mandate to ask for a woman. I was working with an energy company and they had quoted back to me that they'd been contacted by a a BBC team and by a Sky team, actually, who both said, oh, we, you know, we want somebody to talk about this particular energy aspect. 
um, but we need a woman. They couldn't put up a woman, so they didn't get on. They get, didn't get on the radio. Mm. So it made that them focus their minds. They got to do media training mm. for their, you know, their sort of up and coming women. Promote them, put them, you know, put them out, yeah. you know, yeah. on, onto panels and to interviews. And by doing, but so we work with them on fifty fifty. I mean, it's just you know glorified spreadsheets for them to count who they're mm. doing and everybody gathers data on all this but the the effective thing about 50 50 is it's absolutely immediate it's meant to be if you're making a program it's that day you we we use it in political programs we're forward thinking i we know we need to get to 50 50 how many more women do i need on my program next week Mm -hmm. to get to that number Mm -hmm. so it's a very useful dynamic target everyone pours over the the spreadsheet or that you know Mm -hmm. looks at your numbers think all right that's where i need to improve and that's also what's playing out with people who are counting, you know, the number of women they're putting forward for panels or for speaker events or their internal comms or their ex- external comms. Basically, we work, 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 we work with anyone that's creating content. It doesn't need to be a broadcaster. You know, we work with businesses and university journalism schools and trade bodies and anybody making mm-hmm. contact, content mm. that we can... Like then gets on air. The key thing for us as well is, you know, as much as we're all like, well, we're doing really well when it comes to gender and women's equality, but actually when you look at the numbers, a lot of the time we're not where we need to be. We're so kind of desensitised mm. to seeing more men mm. that we think that that's, that's normal, so that must be balanced. But also it's not about kind of trying to correct that overnight and instantly in a way that is almost like a quota system we always say 50 50 isn't a quota system but actually it does take a bit longer to be able to put women in a position where they are comfortable doing the media interviews and they've had the media training Mm. and they can deliver a really good interview and they are the right from the from the producer's point of view and from our point of view Mm. as journalists that we are finding the right people to speak to as opposed to just right we've got to get women because we need three more women in the program and if you get the wrong person it it completely undermines the whole point of the project yes well i was going to ask you about that laura but i want to quickly go back to one thing which i really liked which was the fact that you were saying about this this energy company and they didn't have they didn't have a woman it's like well you can't get involved then and, and what I was going to say to you was now I know the main focus of the initiative is about reporting gender balance right it's all about data it's about reporting and it's encouraging businesses to to, to equalize the gap and it's about nudging rather than forcing and my my question was going to be you know come on enough nudging let's start forcing it right you know let's demand it and also we said not don't be so bloody polite <laughs> and what I love is you're now saying actually no you know what you haven't got a woman we don't want to hear from you which is fantastic and so do you think do you follow you've now that the initiative has got the power and got the impetus behind it you can you can be fairly forceful in, in your demands I, I really do think so I mean I've worked on an array of programs and we very politely say you know, have you got an expert in whatever area? And and we, 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 we embolden, say, and we really need it to be a woman. And when, when you know, the press office comes back, oh, we've only got, you know, gym blogs. Uh, so we say, oh, no, well, thanks very much, but um, not this time. Mm. And so they're mm. really, mm. they absolutely are not getting media coverage. I mean, this is yeah. in daily news, but, um, I, I, and I think... You really see it when you watch the television or you listen to the radio, you know, both local radio or network or, you know, read online. I mean, once you start thinking about it, Mm. you can see it playing out. And whenever you can have a choice, So also the key thing is you count what you can control. 
So, of course, it's all a busy news day. You know, we need to have clips or interviews with politicians. Can't do anything about, you know, Boris Johnson or Keir Starmer or, you know, the health secretary or the finance secretary, all, all these. They're men. We can't do anything about it. We We don't count them. We do count who we can invite onto our programmes yes. and, you know, in, in the political world or in, you know, daily news. And that's how that's how you make the numbers numbers change yeah and and exactly and again that's that point Laura you're making about it's not a quota system um and it's about finding the best available voices and I read a quote from we talked about Nina Goswami earlier who's the creative diversity lead um and journalist at BBC you know she says in a bid for equal representation we have ended up finding excellent voices across genders to widen our pool of fabulous voices and enrich our storytelling now what I want to know is again it's kind of fascinating that these voices were sidelined for so long I mean that you've had to seek out these voices that women maybe weren't putting themselves forward and it's you know why do you think there's been this exclusion for so long I think it's also so there's a couple of things so um as we touched on earlier um you know there are there is still quite a long way to go within organizations and companies at senior levels where you know how many FTSE 100 companies have women on their boards or chair chairwomen or chair people or whatever that are the ones who are getting you know are in the high profile positions to have these interviews um and we don't just want to have kind of women on as vox pops on the street when you talk yeah. about well what's happening with the christmas shopping you know it's about finding the experts um so that's why our work with partners is really important because it's kind of a two-way street but then also it's just breaking the habits of the people in the newsroom so i think a lot of it is we've had our little black books with the contacts or the list of contacts that get shared around anytime there's a new journalist who joins the team and they get put on a story and they need to start phone bashing to like get a guest on you'll have the person next to them who may have worked on that program for four years ago oh yeah here's my list of contacts for that for that subject these are the good ones. And so you have these lists of names and numbers that are being shared around the newsroom again and again, and it's the same old names and faces that keep mm, appearing in the content mm. because when you're up against a deadline and you don't have that much time and you know that they're good, they've done it before, yeah. um, you can trust them, they're reliable, they'll say yes, done. Yeah. So it does take that extra time and effort to put someone on air who you haven't featured that regularly, who you aren't sure. They're not tried and tested. Yeah. Not tried and tested completely. So that's what we're trying to break that habit and change the mold. And what we've been hearing from teams is actually in the end, it's not just about the, you know, the responsibility as a public service broadcaster or trying to make sure that we're appealing to all customers, clients, audiences, but it's actually making our content and our stories a lot better because we, you know, you're just getting the same old stories and perspectives yeah. going yeah. around in a circle and you're missing certain angles and certain lines that are really fascinating that end up kind of going viral when, when we do uncover them because the rest of the, the audience, it speaks to them so much more. Um, so I think it's a combination of, yes, we're trying to change the world and we have a way to go, but also just changing habits and, and breaking those old habits. So would you say it's now, as I imagine it's a really exciting time for women to get into media because there must be new opportunities opening up? Yeah, I don't know if it's a case of new opportunities because actually we're, we're, there's a lot of women, at least at the BBC, um, and even I worked at Sky briefly for a while as well, lots of women working in the newsrooms. Um, and we have a lot of female editors and assistant editors. Um, so I think, you know, we've always been quite a, a quite a gender balanced newsroom. It's more kind of making sure that we have women in those senior decision making places um, mm. and then equally 
I think maybe in certain teams and stuff, women being given the big stories and not just kind of reporting the the stories that are maybe lower down the running order that are considered aren't considered as serious or as important but i think that happens a lot less these days mm. um so mm. i think what it's doing um is you know the media from what i've seen and working with these big na- names and big broadcasters it's always been a good place uh, to be you know it's always been welcoming to be a woman but actually more and more people now kind of can say no you've given like the top story to the male correspondent every week, every day for the last week. And Mm. I've pitched the story that's really good. And I'm going to report on this story. And I think, you know, going back to your point actually about, are we being just too polite? Can we really push and demand this now? You know, it's not really for us on the 50, 50 to, to kind of make those demands, but actually it comes to having the, the support and the permission from the top down as well as having this kind of grassroots surge of the producers wanting to do this. But I think where it comes to the demands being made, that has to come from the senior editors, the commissioners, the mm. people who are the decision makers in in these departments, whether it's news or whether it's the next series that's going out on BBC One. Um, and they're the ones who can make those demands because it mm. really comes down to them. Um, and if they say this is not negotiable, the content that I am going to put on my channel or on my program has to be diverse. Then regardless of whether it's a producer who really gets it and is trying really hard or maybe someone who's a bit more cynical, they're going to do it because it's what the boss wants. Um, so we try and give them the tools to do that. Um, but I think it's really important that, um, you know, you do have the, the senior leadership supporting it and asking for it as well um and then again that will feed into um the workforce because if the senior leaders are the ones who are doing the hiring and the ones who are saying yes that's the person who i want to be the presenter the one in the the one in the big chair if they get it then that will also be kind of a better thing for for women who work in the media sure do you think the bbc obviously they're really leading the way how important is it the bbc leads the way because it's such a respected provider of news isn't it how important is it for the bbc to be doing this and how hopeful are you that other media associations will follow suit i think so for the bbc it is pay, it, we are funded by a license fee which we ask the people of the mm. united kingdom to pay and therefore mm-hmm. we have to reflect society that's a very very clear guiding motive i mean some may see you know think it's a bit you know, uh, you know, other other organisations are funded by commercial activity or advertising, whatever. But we have this r- reason mm. that we need to reflect society in in all our content and to be an attractive place for anybody in the United Kingdom yeah. to work. And these are very guiding principles. That it sounds rather sort of, um, you know, lofty, but it really guides people. We talk about it a lot. Um, and we are, you know, we're much criticised by rival media organisations, but the, the justifying the licence mm. fee, value for all, it's, you know, reminding the key phrase at the moment, is very key. Yes, it's so important, I think, for the BBC to lead the way. One, because actually the BBC does so much to contribute to the workforce in the wider media industry. So many people start at the BBC, they get their training mm-hmm. and they gather their experience mm-hmm. and they become amazing journalists by beginning at the BBC and then they go off to work elsewhere. Um, and you know, that that's an amazing thing. And I was gonna talk about your external parties, external partners rather, because in March, 2021, more than 40 partners took up the 50-50 challenge for the first time and sh- shared their data representation. Um, and 50% of data sets 
achieved the target of 50% women, which is up from 31% since the first month of monitoring. And I want to know kind of who are your, can you give me samples of your external partners and who have you been sort of most proud about getting on board? I mean, we have massively expanded the network. Several um, people are involved in all this, and I'm reaping the benefit of my predecessor and um, building on her network of signing people up. I mean, we work with a lot of journalism schools. So across the UK, we've got about 23 universities' journalism courses that we work with. So these are the, you know, journalists of the future, Um sort of starting to think about their content, even at student level. Doing a big um, a project with all the ger- regional German public broadcasters. So there's a big network called the ARD um, network all around Germany, and we've just signed up another two people uh, in the last week. Um, so they are very keen, they're very um, pleased to be associated with the BBC, and they have very similar programming. Uh, you know, they're funded by a, a, a tax, so they're beholden to the public that um that consume their content um i mean we you know a whole array um nhk in mm-hmm. japan are signing people mm-hmm. up and uh expanding their network we've got people um all around asia india america all around the world sort of small broadcasting organizations and then big ones and then i think um the british fashion council is probably one that we're we're kind of really excited about because they're doing it in such a different way. Um, so they just um, finalised the signing up this year. Mm. Um, but what they've kind of just within their first, within their first time of monitoring with 50-50, we normally kind of are, work closely with partners to kind of help them um, start with gender with like a couple of teams and then scale up and, and get their heads around it. And they've just gone all in um, and have started with monitoring kind of all aspects of um, diversity of everyone involved in London Fashion Week. So um, they set up a really clever um, app where they had a QR code that, well, not an app, sorry, but they had a, a form where they had a QR code for everyone who was involved in London Fashion Week to follow that and then go and fill out a form. And this included the models, the designers, um, the makeup artists, um, lighting, kind of everyone behind the scenes and on the catwalk as well. Um, and that kind of, I think it's exciting for us because it's a big leap from, you know, broadcasters, which is of course our bread and butter. It's the one where it's most similar to something like London Fashion Week, which you might say is so different. And some people might think, well, actually we can't apply it to ours, to our work because it's, you know, it is completely different and it's not really comparable. And the fashion industry is so difficult to change because of this and that and that. Um, but they've really just thought, no, we're going to really give this a big shot. And interestingly, they, in, in this data gathering, they were uh, gathering all um, aspects of personal characteristics. So 5050 is a, is a perception-based tool, i.e. what you can see, read or hear in, in the outset. So gender is quite straightforward. So we've got teams in the BBC who are gathering data on ethnicity and disability, which obviously has our protected characteristics and therefore are at a different level of data protection gathering. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the, the Fashion Week team, um, the British Fashion Council, because they used this QR code, they could gather all this data securely straight uh, onto a digital platform that they that was data secure. So there were some quite interesting parallels, as Lara says, you know, they, they sort of leapt a generation of data gathering. And any particular one you're working with at the moment, anyone you'd like to see on the initiative that isn't an initiative or any sort of 
particular ones that you're in the work process of signing up? We've got quite ambitious targets that we're thinking about um, for next year, for the 100th year of the BBC. So we'd like to expand our numbers of the community radio stations that the, the World Service Media Action Charity work with, you know, community radio stations all around the world. So we'd like to increase our numbers there. Work with more businesses, um, you know, big businesses in the UK. If they create content, you know, we can we can help them count it. And um, yeah, you know, regional, more regional broadcasters and more journalism schools. Sure, sure. And um, have you seen any resistance to these initiatives? Not just not just the the gender, but also for disability and ethnic minorities. Have you seen any resistance to this? I think the, I mean, the, the argument that we would get kind of in the earlier days or when you're first having conversations with some teams, specifically with gender, is as you kind of made a joke mm. about earlier on, well, what happens if it's 60-40 <laughs> in the other direction? And, you know, we do, you know, every now and then some people might say, well, what if it, you know, if it goes too too far over and, mm. you know, we've still got to make mm. sure. And we're like, absolutely, the project is 50-50. We're not telling any teams right, we want you to hit 75% women, 80% women all the time. Um, so the point is also making sure that we're getting balance. Um, and actually one thing I noticed when I, so when I worked at BBC Africa, um, I worked on a children's programme or a youth programme um, and we were really over hit, like hitting well over 50% every month. And we realised that actually it was because, and this is where the data can be really helpful, um, we were featuring all of the young children and the teenagers that we were speaking to were girls. Um, but most of the time when we were speaking to the celebrities and the Afrobeat stars, mm. it was men. Um, and we spoke to fewer of them because our program was packed full of young people. And it really helped us readjust and think, OK, fine, we're hitting the targets easy. We could just carry on like this and say, yeah, we're smashing 50-50. But actually, that wasn't the right example. And that's not setting the right representation for a young audience. So mm -hmm. we really made an effort then to make sure that we were reaching the 50 percent with the young children that we were featuring and getting more 14-year-old boys on doing cool things in Senegal or whatever. But then also making sure that we were getting... Um, really amazing female role models whether they were celebrities or politicians or whatever it was mm -hmm. um and so um i think it's it's always about whenever people have an argument about the gender the gender thing of over kind of um overdoing it on one side it's you know it's just saying actually we're trying to correct the imbalance and with disability and ethnicity we haven't really we haven't i mean there, there is no argument against it i think everyone sure. realizes it now especially everything that happened last summer with black sure. lives matter and george floyd um, but the, the the challenge with that, the biggest challenge is really the logistics. Sure. As Miranda touched on, when you're dealing with protected characteristics and data, it is a lot for teams to take on. Um, there's, you know, a lot of um, steps that teams have to take to make sure that it's kept secure and it's done in the right way. Um, so often, whenever we do get pushback, it's not about the need for it and the purpose behind it. But it's about can we juggle this with our very, very busy workloads and tight teams and resources? Um, and um, we're, you know, we work with teams really closely to make sure that we try and fit it into their um, their workflow already and their existing practices so that it takes as little time as possible. But I think most of them, you know, everyone seems to realize, you know, this isn't this isn't now kind of a, a tick box like, OK, great, we've done the diversity side of it. But actually, if they want to be successful and if they want to be getting the clicks and the audiences and the listenership, um, then, you know, this is kind of an essential part of the work now. Whereas I think a couple of years ago, it was more like, OK, this is in all the other things we're talking about, accuracy, um, you know, impartiality, 
sound quality all of that the diversity and the representation was really at the bottom of the list and now Mm. it's really it's right at the top and i mean going back to your comment about you know what happens if what happens god forbid it goes 60 40 um what do you think what would you say to those people that are now saying that white middle-class men are the most threatened species i mean i've definitely heard i know i've had people in the industry you know um whether they're photographers or actors or presenters complaining that they're now finding it tough to get a job I mean, I think the data says it all. Um, we're still not at 50-50. Um, and in workforce and in content, we're not there yet. So as mm. you pointed out, we have 70% of teams mm. who are reaching 50% women. But what about the other 30%? So fine, when we get to the stage where actually we are maybe, we are at 100% of teams always mm. reaching 50% women or more, then maybe we need to say, okay, mm. guys, we've got to come back now and make sure that there's a balance but we're just not there and we're not there in the workforce figures either so um you know i think there definitely still is um a a kind of a position of not a position sorry there's definitely kind of a status of imbalance Mm. so you know i think we always say it it comes down to the evidence and the numbers and you can't you can't lie i mean the figures don't lie yeah i mean i guess but the fact is if if you're trying to get more women seen in the media there's going to be some situations where if if you've got a certain tv show for example i don't know it was either spring watch or autumn watch sorry if it's all male and you need women you've got some men are going to have to step down to allow the women to come to come through right and those men might not be happy about that well i think i think the key thing is that in any of those situations um you know when program makers are picking their lineup of contributors or their lineup of presenters they need to pick the ones who are best for who are the best ones so you know if you some people might argue if there does happen to be um three male presenters in a program with three presenters um some people would argue well they were the three best ones but actually our point is mm, that's probably not the case uh, and it's important that we are making sure that we're being diverse and being representative. And if there aren't if there aren't any experts in that field, so if we don't have any female gardening experts that we could speak to, although we know that we do, then you need to start working on a pipeline and giving them that training and the opportunity. Um, and I think um, it's always about making sure that everyone has a fair shot. And actually, if in the past and even now, if it's all kind of three men, that doesn't really seem fair because in a population where it is 50-50, why would three people of the same group have the chance? Yeah. I, I mean, I just can't think, I can't think on any outlet, BBC or non-BBC recently, that I've seen a lineup of three men. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think I think the BBC, but other broadcasters, Channel 4, ITV, Sky, or we're, you know, we're all, all the same. thinking about representation. Yeah. But it's it's not, you know, the 60-40 thing is interesting. We're not trying to get 100% women on every outlet. That's not the population. It's about redressing, as Lara says, redressing the balance. And actually the BBC on, you know, very high profile television programmes like Spring Watch or Antiques Roadshow or Question of Sport or, you know... I was going to say Top Gear. They try. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you about Top Gear. Um, what about the likes of Top Gear? So Top Gear, I mean, I, I'm working with Top Gear magazine who are aiming to increase their numbers. Now, getting to 50-50 is a challenge, but they're going from, uh, you know, a lower base and they're trying to increase the number of women in every edition of the magazine. And that's about commissioning, you know, female um, motoring writers and you know, featuring some interesting women 
you know, engineers and people in the automotive industry. And they're, they're out there, mm. but they're really up for finding these people. And that's what's quite interesting because there is a, there's a sort of ta- target audience there. They want to, you know, increase their audience, their readership. Yeah. They want to interest women watching both the programme. And the programme and magazine are, are, are different. But, um, you know, they want to increase their readership. Our sports programme is quite similar. So, you know, before, um, you know, we especially when you're talking about Premier League football, and we have a lot of um, programming dedicated to Premier League football. And, of course, the whole Premier League is, you know, male, male managers, male coaches, male yeah, players. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're getting more and more attention now on women's football, which is great. But also we want female presenters and pundits who are talking about the Premier League. You don't have to be... Um, talking about women's football to be a woman no. a, female, a female presenter no. and as we've seen now with Alex Scott being the new presenter of Football Focus and all of that that's changing and you're seeing more and more female pundits talking about the Premier League and that's how it should be it's just taken us a little longer to get there um, and so I think similarly you know with cars women like cars and guess what we can drive just as well as you guys so yeah. it's trying to yeah. you know you do have to have initiatives like 5050 or moments where you have the commissioners who are like this is not good enough now we have to make this change and then it yeah. basically change it just changes the status quo um so, so hopefully well, for the euros there was equal numbers of men and women in the studio wasn't there yeah is that part of 5050 um well because they're they're one off um so uh that we kind of do we do regular programming because got you it's okay. just they kind of pop up and pop down but um but football focus is taking part for example um and yeah it's something that we're seeing is and you know for the olympics actually it was um we had Again, go back to sixty forty. I think the the kind of presenter group was more more women than men because it was an uneven number. Yeah. Um, but but you know that's great, especially when you know if you're not talking if you're talking about a variety of sports where it mm. should be fifty fifty. And it was the first Olympics, I think, where yes. it was fifty fifty. But there's a very impressive head of sport is Barbara Slater, BBC. She's a an Olympian of old, um, and uh, you know it's sort of it, women at the very very top. Who are so Charlotte Moore is director of content at the BBC, you know the these are people mm. for whom it's not a struggle to think right let's go let's find a really good female sports presenter. It, it starts yeah. it's it started yeah. you know years ago the pipeline and then Olympics was the most fantastic showcase for so many sports so many experts on sports so mm. many former players of those sports who are women mm. who can talk yeah. authoritatively about them. Yes. And well, that's that's the whole point, isn't it? You need women at the top to make change. And I think that, that that's absolutely key. It's imperative, isn't it? That like I said before, why is it taking this long to happen? Often it's because if you've got men at the top, then they're they're by default. As you said, it's it's confirmation bias. They're going to go for men. So by having women at the top, it's going to it's going to affect. Change, it's also about it? set, being role models as well, because, you know, you can have men in senior positions who are great allies. And, you know, 5050 was started by a male presenter on World TV, and he's the one who kind of really pushed it to make it happen. But actually, in getting that pipeline, you know, we always say you can't be what you can't see. And whether that's women or whether that's people from... You can't from see it, you can't exactly. Be it. exactly. So, you know, even if you do have, a, a, you know, a man like our DGs, Tim, Tim Davian, previously before him, Tony Hall, who are very supportive of 5050... 
you will have people in the organization who are thinking, well, I'm probably not going to get to that level because I've not seen anyone who looks like me um, in that senior board meeting or doing mm-hmm. doing that interview mm-hmm. as the head of this organization or, you know, whatever it mm-hmm. is. Um, and so I think it also, as well as having that person in that position who's making those decisions and pushing for it, you're having people who are in the pipeline who are thinking, oh, great, if she can do it, I can do it. Um, and it kind of gives yeah. them that motivation. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, Miranda, how, how long did you say you've been at the BBC? Uh, more than 20 years. So this must be really exciting for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> very. Um, yes. I mean, it just, it, it feels very comfortable. I think, you know, you have to take people with you, but this is not, this is not a difficult discussion being you know about in workforce and in content about this this is it feels like absolutely the right thing to do at the right time yeah and and Lara what what can we all do to ensure that 50 50 you know that it isn't just a BBC led campaign that it's something that and maybe it's not even just media it's something that takes effect across across all forms of business yeah so I mean I would say I think in the future what what I would like the media to look like is where um you know, everyone is represented in a way that is just seems natural and actually just does reflect the world. And it's not stereotypical or tokenistic mm. or, you know, causes a big kind of, I'm trying to be careful with my words here, but, or it, you know, it doesn't cause kind of like a backlash or becomes a big topic of, of discussion when you do have something that is just fair representation, but because it's different to the norm, it causes a whole big outcry or, or whatever um and I think you know we just need to see that becoming business as usual and that's that's what I would say for you know any organization who makes content mm-hmm. as you just said it doesn't have to be a broadcaster and these days actually yeah. every organization yeah. whether you're a small independent business or a massive corporation you're all making content social media has changed the way we do things mm-hmm. and changed how people consume things um you know you just need to make sure that you're thinking very carefully about your portrayal so you know are you making sure that you're representative in terms of yes the numbers um but also in the way that you're doing it don't just make sure that if you're yeah. an advertising agency, you've got the women who are advertising the Hoover and the men who are advertising the TVs, you know? Like, that's that's not what it's like in the real world. Um, so think more carefully about breaking away from those stereotypes um, and get everyone to be talking about it. I think that's why 50-50 works so well. So, you know, we've said it's from the programme makers and the content makers who are the ones doing the counting. So they're having those conversations every day. It's changing their mindsets. But then from the very top it has to be something that is um a kpi almost you know it is a um something that is a target that's set that teams have to reach to be seen as being successful um and that's that's where the change will come so you're kind of setting those targets but then also bringing everyone along with you in terms of the way of thinking and the culture as well yeah i mean i guess the whole point is when we don't need 50 50 is when your job is done right yeah yeah I feel I feel that sadly I think we're we're still a long way off like even at the BBC we have so many teams who are doing an amazing job but because Mm. there's so many other demands pulling on everyone's time Mm. um and resources are stretched you know I think if we still need to remind people and we need to keep them talking about it and we have to still push all the time even just for the gender figures but it's becoming more and more business than usual it is just a, a slow process 
Sure, brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And it's, it's, it's really exciting to see. So thank you so much for playing your part in this 50-50 campaign. Great. Thanks very much. So that's it for episode three of Media Unscripted. Lots of exciting changes happening in media and about bloody time too. So following on from this theme of diversity, next time we will be speaking to Yulia Boyle, Senior Vice President of International Media and Image Collection at National Geographic. By her own admission, Yulia came from an underprivileged background in Armenia and was lucky enough to get on a life-changing scholarship in America. As a result, she is passionate about encouraging diversity and ensuring minority groups are better represented in the media. Yulia also talks to us about the joint venture between National Geographic and Disney, environmental concerns of non-fungible tokens and finding new ways to make money with falling subscription numbers. So please make sure you listen next time. As always, thanks to our sponsor Press Reader and a big thank you to you for listening and please don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you.